So um, we're, uh, we're getting into a new series today, uh, Hebrews chapter 11. We're calling it Stories of Faith. This is launching us into the summer. And Hebrews chapter 11, as those of you who are familiar with the scriptures will know, concerns a lot of stories of faith. So that's what we're calling it, stories of faith, stories from, of, of people in the scriptures, especially the Hebrew scriptures, that, um, uh, of people who trusted the Lord and tasted the Lord and hoped in the Lord, and that gave them a particular way to live. And so we want to learn from them in these stories of faith and also learn from the rich community that we have here, hear those stories of faith that, so that we can be encouraged in our faith journeys uh, as well. So... Uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, it begins, uh, the author begins by defining faith. So perhaps these days, we could use a little faith. Um, I don't know about you, I, I, I feel like I could, I have faith, obviously, but I could use more of it in, in some sense. So maybe we could use, whatever faith we have, we could use maybe a little more faith. So the author begins by defining faith. And this is the only place in the scriptures where faith actually is defined. And the author of, uh, of the book of Hebrews, whose name we don't know, defines faith for us, but he defines faith in a way that defines the function of faith. So he defines what faith does. So the question for us then is, well, what does faith do? Specifically, what does faith do for us? And so let's get right into it. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, I'm going to offer up some alternative translation values for these two words translated assurance and conviction. But before I do, I just want to point out the, that these words are substantive words. Assurance, conviction. Eventually, I'm going to get to some other words that are equally substantive. So, these, so faith, what the author is saying is that faith connects us to reality. And this is the exact opposite of what many people in our world think. Many people in our world think that faith disconnects you from reality, that faith is an escape from reality. And so if you, want, if you don't want to live in reality, then believe, believe something else, believe in God, believe in Jesus. It is called in many ways an escape from reality. But let's think about this for a second. If I wanted to escape from reality, I would not choose to believe in someone who tells me to deny myself and take up my cross. That's not an escape from reality. I would not choose to believe someone who preaches the Sermon on the Mount. I would not choose then to read the Sermon on the Mount and all the demands that are involved in that in order to escape from reality, right? So, so faith, at the basic level, connects us to reality. So that's what you need to know, is faith connects us to reality. It binds us to reality. Think about this. Faith basically then is trust. And you cannot live without trust. When I woke up in the morning and I put my feet on the floor, I trusted that the floor was going to be there, right? So you, you experience trust in all sorts of ways. You cannot live for a moment without trusting in something. So if you're trusting in the floor to be there, then you ask the question, well, how did that floor get there? Well, of course, somebody put the thing together. You had the contractors and construction people and everything, they put the floor down there. But where did the stuff come from in the first place? It is God who created the stuff. God created the heavens and the earth. He created the stuff that went into making that floor. Therefore, God is the ultimate reality. 
God is the beginning and end of reality. If he's the one who created the stuff, he then is the ultimate reality. Faith then connects us with reality. It connects us with God. God himself is the ultimate reality. So then, what do we do then to build faith? One of the things you need to do is you need to think about God. Set your minds on God. The scriptures, of course, are filled with all sorts of Uh, of God's attributes and descriptions of him, so spend some time thinking about God. That's one of the ways you build up your faith. Set set aside regular times to do that, and then if you can throughout the day, think about God or or take awareness of something that's happening and and ask God, what do you think of that? Or I'm gonna think about God right now, just just for a minute. Think about his greatness, think about his power, think about his goodness. So what's the alternative translation that I would offer? I would say, Based on my study of the book of Hebrews, faith is the guarantee of things hoped for. The guarantee of things hoped for. And the things hoped for concern the eternal creation that is to come. So it's a forward-looking hope, things that you cannot see yet that will come about. And it's the guarantee. So if you have faith, that guarantees that these things that you hope for, the new creation, are going to come about. It's very similar to what Paul says in terms of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit being given to us as a down payment of the things to come, a down payment of our eternal inheritance, so that what you get in the the future, you get all of it, but in the present, you get part of it, so that right now we experience something of the Lord in the present in anticipation of experiencing all of the Lord in the future. So God, of course, is good and he is powerful. These are the two basic attributes we have to think about when we think about God. He is good and he is powerful. And we know that he is good and powerful because of what he is going to bring about. He's going to bring about perfect justice, perfect righteousness, the perfect new creation. And if he is going to be good and powerful in that way, we know he is good and powerful in the present. If he, if, although he is not yet fully expressed in the present, his goodness and power, we know that he will. We know, therefore, that he is good and that he is powerful. He can, therefore, be enjoyed in the present. He can be worshipped and trusted and enjoyed in the present if he is good and if he is powerful. Faith is the guarantee of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. The evidence of things not seen. And the word translated things here is different from the word that was translated things earlier, and it concerns events, events in the future, events that have not yet happened. And these are the events that will ultimately bring about the new creation and the events that will happen in the new creation. So the function of faith then is to bind us to reality to connect us to reality, to bind us to the reality of the things we actually hope for, God and what God will ultimately do. The purpose of faith is so that we can partially enjoy God in the present in anticipation of the, of the day when we will fully enjoy him in the new creation. Psalm 34.8 says, as many of you know, taste and see that the Lord is good. The psalmist compares the Lord to a meal, a meal that you taste. And once you get that first bite, 
And if that first bite of that meal is good, you go, oh, man, this is really good stuff. I want to keep eating this meal. Well, that's what it's like with faith. You taste the Lord, and if you taste the Lord and his goodness and his, and his power in any way in this creation, you know that there's more to come, and you can't wait to, to get the full meal. And the fact that you have tasted the Lord proves that the whole meal is going to come. So, first of all, from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, taste the Lord. It's really a beautiful metaphor. Taste the Lord. The psalmist says this in Psalm 81, verse 10. Early, actually, God, the, the psalmist is quoting the Lord, saying, open your mouth and I will fill it. Open your mouth, and I, the Lord, will fill it. It's like you, you, can't, you can't get the stuff in there unless you open your mouth. I'm sure Jan knows all about trying to get the food into the mouths of the little boys when they won't open their mouths. You know, open your mouth, open wide. You know, I, used to, I used to do the airplane thing. Coming in for the landing, coming to open that hatch, Joe. Come on, Joe, get that hatch open. Open that hatch. Oh, no, no, it's a crash landing. No, you got to do it again. And eventually, I would get the food in the mouth. But you got to open the mouth. You got to open your mouth to the, open your life to the Lord. And he will fill it with himself. Taste the Lord. Open your mouth. Taste the Lord and see that he is good. C.S. Lewis is brilliant, brilliant along these lines in the Chronicles of Narnia. He talks about the, uh, the time that the, the children are going to get to the new creation. He doesn't call it the new creation, but that's what it is in, in his beautiful writing. And when they get there, they taste the fruit. They taste the fruit of the new creation. What is the fruit like? Here's what Lewis says. All I can say is that compared to those fruits, the freshest grapefruit you've ever eaten was dull. The juiciest orange was dry. And the most melting pear was hard and woody, and the sweetest wild strawberry was sour. If you had once eaten that fruit, the fruit of the new creation, all the nicest things this world would taste like medicines after it. Tastes like medicines after it. It's, you know, what we got here is pretty good when you connect with the Lord, but it's nothing compared to what you're going to get. But if you get that little taste of it now, you know the rest of it is going to be awesome. So, taste the Lord. Now, when you taste the Lord and you taste his goodness, you taste his power, you experience something of him, then you have to live in this world, right? You have to live in this sin-sick world, and there are all sorts of things that might make you afraid. So you have to confront fear. But if the Lord is good, and if he is powerful... And if you have tasted him, if you have experienced something of him, that gives you confidence that you can face into whatever you're afraid of in this world, especially a, a fear of loss. That's what many of us are plagued with, is fear of loss. What's going to happen? What, I, what do I have that I'm going to lose? Or what do I want that I'm not going to get? The fear just seems to rule our lives in so many ways. But if what the writer of Hebrews is saying and what the scriptures are saying are true, there's nothing really actually to be afraid of. We have to experience whatever we experience in this world to, to, to work through that, but there's really actually nothing to be afraid of. Dallas Willard says this, because of the nature of God and his kingdom, 
All his created beings and everyone who trusts in him are in a position to say, let the worst happen. Let the worst happen, and God and I will go together in the abundance of his being. They're good words. Let the worst happen. If what the scriptures say is true, bring it on. And then we can live outrageous lives of confidence, outrageous lives of faith. Who knows what we might voluntarily now give up that so many people value and think is so important in life so that we can obey the call of God, so that we can be men and women and boys and girls of faith. Earthly loss is nothing in comparison to heavenly gain. The famous words of the missionary Jim Elliott have uh, inspired many people, and he lost his life trying to minister to the people, the, the very people who ended up killing him, trying to bring the gospel to the natives. And he says this, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Can we live by that sort of adage? Have that sort of confidence? Have that sort of faith? Chuck Colson, who founded Prison Fellowship, shares this story. Let me just read it to you. Read what Chuck Colson wrote about this woman by the name of Margaret Mayfield. Margaret Mayfield was at a shopping center at a San Antonio store when a gun-wielding man suddenly confronted her. I'm the man who killed the woman at the restaurant last night, he announced, and I'm going to kill you if you make one move. Ms. Mayfield had just been abducted by mass murderer Stephen Peter Morin. Terrified, she began praying aloud. Instead of ordering her to drive away, Morin began to sob and talk about his unhappy childhood. This is the mass murderer. Ms. Mayfield told him, it's no coincidence that you're here. God brought you to this car. You think the hell you're going, you're going through is bad. It's nothing compared to the hell you're going through. Even though you have committed some horrible things, God still loves you. Well, there, here's a woman of faith. Now, I don't think you can prepare for this. You can have faith, and then the event happens, and then God shows up. I think that's what happened to Margaret Mayfield. God showed up and gave her the words to say, gave her the confidence, gave her that faith that she already had that now she could act on. So, trust the Lord. That's the second thing. Taste the Lord, trust the Lord. Those are the two takeaways today. Taste the Lord, experience the Lord, and as you experience the Lord, you realize that you can trust the Lord in every episode of your life. So now what the writer does in the next verse is he talks about further evidence for faith. Let's look at verse 2. For by it, that is by faith, people of old received their commendation, that is their commendation from God. For by it, by faith, they received their commendation from God. They were witnessed by God, literally, and they were commended by God. So what God's looking for is faith. That's what he's looking for. Later, we're going to see that faith uh, pleases God. You cannot come to, you know, the people of God have to come to God, and they have to come to God in faith, and that is what pleases God. I was ministered to many years ago, and I think I uh, spoke to some of you about this uh, in one of my sermons uh, a while back. Psalm 147, where it is the, the psalmist hopes in the Lord 
and he recognizes that that pleases the Lord. And so since that time, I've really actively tried to just hope in the Lord. I go through it pretty much every day. I hope in the Lord. And, and, and I, I hope in the Lord for, for, for me, for my wife, for my daughters. I'm, I actively hope in the Lord for them and for me and for all of us. And then that pleases God. That's what the psalmist says in Psalm 147. You hope in the Lord, and that gives God pleasure. Pretty simple, right? You don't have to do some great thing. You can just sit there and hope, sit there and think. And that brings pleasure to God. So the evidence here for faith is the people of faith and the lives that they lead. And we're going to see those lives in Hebrews chapter 11, all these exemplars of faith from the Hebrew scriptures. So if you want to grow in faith then, you need to connect with stories of faith. And that's why we're calling this stories of faith, looking at the biblical figures, but also hearing stories of faith from our own people. We learn from stories, we grow from stories. The the scriptures are mostly stories and poems. So in order to grow in faith, then connect with these biblical people of faith, the men and women of old. Make them your friends. That's what we've tried to do in our recent series in the book of uh, Genesis concerning Joseph, the story of faith in Joseph's life. If you have been with us through that series, you saw his great faith. You saw that amazing story about how he was abused by his brothers and he was thrown into a, a pit and he was sold into slavery and he was falsely accused and he was thrown into prison and he emerged with this remarkable faith to recognize that though evil was done to him, God used that evil for good. Now that's faith. It's able to, it's able to look at the situation and see beyond the situation and to see the hand of God, to see what God is doing in all of this to bring about some glorious result, even if you cannot see that glorious result yet. But if God is good, and he is powerful, then he will bring about that glorious result that you have not yet seen, but you can believe in it. The story of Joseph teaches us that. Make Joseph your friend. When I first got to PBC, the first book that I studied and taught through in its entirety was the book of Exodus. I don't know why I chose Exodus first off, but something within me wanted to study the book of Exodus and thought that this was really crucial. And so what I, what I did is I saw Moses there, and, and, I, and Moses became my friend. Moses was a man of fear. He, 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 was, he was terrified. He, at first, he tried to accomplish something great in Egypt, but he was a miserable failure. Pharaoh wanted to kill him. He, he, he ran for his life, and he spent 40 years out in the wilderness, but the Lord did not give up on him. And the Lord met him and somehow formed him and shaped him and gave him a few episodes by which he could trust the Lord. And finally, the Lord called him 40 years later to go back and face his fears. So I learned about fear from Moses. I learned about facing fear from Moses. It's funny that there was for many years at PBC, you know, if you're asking the Sunday school kids, what's the, you ask, them, ask them the question, you know, if they don't, don't know what the answer is, what do they say? What are they supposed to say? Jesus, yeah, God or Jesus. Well, for many years here, you know, if I asked a question, it wasn't Jesus, the answer was Moses. Moses became my friend, right? So find some biblical figures and make them 
your friends. So the writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, talks about leaders. Remember the leaders. Remember the outcome of, uh, uh, remember their, the outcome of their lives and, and imitate their faith. That's what he says, imitate their faith. Consider the outcome of their lives, these people of faith, and then imitate their faith. Now, I had a, a, a mentor years ago by the name of David Roper, and he would always quote Hebrews 13, 7. And he would say, what people don't want to do is imitate people's faith. They want to latch onto people, and they want to find out what the method is, and they want to imitate their methods. They don't want to imitate the faith. How do you know the Lord? How do you grow closer to the Lord? No, what's the thing you do in order to make things happen? How are you a successful person? What's the methodology? You missed the whole point. Imitate their faith. Faith has to come before methodology. Methods change from day to day, year to year, person to person, time and place. No, find people of faith and learn about faith from them. Methodology comes after faith. So now the, the, the writer in the, in the final verse that we're going to look at today wants us really to understand faith, and so he gives us another verse, verse 3. Let's look at that. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Let me read that again. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. We know that from the book of Genesis, so that what is seen, everything you see here, was not made out of things that are visible. And that was all these things made by God. And, and with this, the writer agrees with Paul in Romans. Romans chapter 1, verse 20. Let's look at that. For his, that is God's, invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So what the writer of Hebrews is saying, what Paul is saying, is that you can look out on the world, you can see things, you can touch things, you can smell things and, all, and, you, and, and hear things, and, and you should be able to look out at all of that and see God and see that there is a creator, a good and powerful creator who created all of this. So creation then is speaking. And that's what the psalmist says in Psalm 19, verse 2. Day to day pours forth speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. If you look out at creation, creation is speaking. Day to day, night to night, it's speaking about the creator. But some people, they, 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 they'll, they'll look out at all of this and they don't see a creator. But logically, if you're a rational person, you have to get to something like a creator, don't you? Where do the, you can believe in evolution if you like, but how, where did the stuff come from in the first place? And, and, and what the writer of Hebrews is saying and what Paul is saying and what the writer of Genesis is saying in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, is it's, it's kind of obvious. And, and, and God makes a certain aspect of faith easy for us. 
You can look out at creation and see that there is a creator. You can see that. You can't necessarily see Christ from that, at first glance anyway, but you can see God behind it all. So, you can see the hidden hand of the creator. And if you can see that he created all of this stuff, and if you can see through the visible to the invisible, now that's what the writer of Hebrews is talking about, is the things that we cannot see, the things that we cannot yet see that are going to come about. So what the writer of Hebrews is doing is saying this, okay, it's kind of obvious that you have a creation, you know that, it's kind of obvious that there's a creator behind the creation, Therefore, if God created this thing in the first place, he gives us something pretty easy to believe in to give us the more difficult thing to believe in, which is this, God's going to recreate it. If he did this in the first place, if he created this, and if he created everything good, and sin has invaded the world to destroy the world in many ways, God's going to recreate it. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Have faith in that. Believe that God is going to recreate the world and bring about perfect justice and beauty and magnificence. And it's, and it's eternal. It lasts forever. So faith is, is seeing traces of God and looking at those traces then and seeing God. I watched a, a, a YouTube video not long ago about this, from this very brilliant philosopher, and he was answering the question, why does the universe exist? That was the, that was the topic of the talk. Why does the universe exist? It was a TED Talk, so it's only about 15, 20 minutes. So I could listen to it. I watched it. And I listened very carefully. Why does the universe exist? And I wanted, if I were in person, I would want to go up afterwards and talk to the guy. And I would want to say this. You didn't answer the question. <laughs> Why did he... he with a secular worldview, he can't answer the question. It takes a supernatural explanation to understand how the stuff got here in the first place for God to create everything. Contrast that philosopher with this um, mathematician, 19th century mathematician by the name of Bernhard Riemann. He was an absolutely brilliant man, a, a, a German mathematician who was a strong believer. And he said that the differential equations that he discovered, he didn't come, with it, come up with them himself. He said he simply looked at the universe and found where God had hidden them. God had hidden these differential equations in the universe for him to discover. Now that's faith. And when he was dying, he was reciting the Lord's Prayer to his wife. That's faith. Right? So you remember the, the story of Margaret Mayfield that Chuck Colson told? Here's the rest of the story. The mass murderer by the name of Morin forced Ms. Mayfield to start driving. And as she drove... She continued telling him about the love of Christ and began playing evangelistic tapes. Morin pulled off the road and began to pray, Jesus, I am sorry for everything I have ever done. Please save me. Morin then picked up his pistol, opened the chamber, 
and dump the bullets into Miss Mayfield's hands. I knew I was witnessing a miracle, Ms. Mayfield would later say. Moran decided to go to Fort Worth to meet with evangelist Kenneth Copeland. I'm not going to quibble with his choice of evangelists. Whose tapes Ms. Mayfield had been playing. When police picked him up hours later, Moran surrendered quietly. This morning, I would have got up and shot the gun, he told the officers, but I met this lady today. And now I'm different. I met this lady, this person of faith today, and now I'm different. During Morin's incarceration in Bexar County Jail, a prison fellowship volunteer picked up where Ms. Mayfield left off, witnessing to Morin until he was transferred elsewhere. Years later, as Morin was about to be executed for his crimes, his last words were, Heavenly Father, I give thanks for the time that we have been together. Allow your Holy Spirit to flow as I know your love has been showered upon me. Lord Jesus, I commit my soul to you. I praise you. I thank you. Well, what does faith do for us? Faith connects us to reality. Faith enables us to taste the Lord. Faith enables us to trust the Lord. Therefore, taste the Lord and trust the Lord. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, you, uh, your goodness and your power are present in the world. They are present in our lives. But it seems that it takes faith for us to take hold of those things, to take hold of you. And I pray that your spirit would come upon all of us today so that we would believe, so that we would trust, so that we would taste your goodness, and taste your power, and that we would be able to face the fear in our lives. And I know that all of us, in one way or another, are facing something that challenges us today. I don't know what that is, Lord, but you know what that is in each person's life. So I ask, Father, that you would give each person faith, the ability to trust you in whatever that circumstance is and in trusting you would you also enable that person and all of us to taste you, to see how good you are, how powerful you are, to also enjoy you as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Ten thousand years, a song will.